This is Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review speaking with Mark Adams of ESPN College Basketball. And some say one of the biggest supporters of American Athletic Conference basketball. Mark Adams, how are you doing this morning, sir? Well, great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. And you know what? I'll take that moniker because the American was special last year, as you might recall. You know, I was the guy that said that Houston was going to the Final Four from the very first game of the season. I remember that. said that the league would be a, a multi-bid league when all my colleagues were saying, oh, the American is dying. It's only one bid league. You know, well, you know what, Chris? I like being right, but I like better when I can brag about being right. <laughs> Amen. I am too. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, let's get right into it. You bet. What's your outlook for this year in the American Theater Conference? You know, I think there are a lot of really, really good teams. I think the American is better than it was a year ago. Now, will that result in a Final Four type thing? It could. It could, for sure. I mean, you look at, at Houston and the fact that, that Kelvin Sampson now has cemented his legacy as one of the greatest coaches in college basketball, period. We're talking about any era. He's done a tremendous job at a place that was – dead and gone at Houston, multiple graveyards for coaches there. He's averaged 26.4 wins per game over the last five seasons. That's 132 wins. And now, you know, we talk about Houston and what they're losing. I mean, you lose Quentin Grimes, Dejan Giroux, uh, Armani Brooks a couple years ago, Rob Gray. Uh, I mean, when, when you think about Justin Gorm, they didn't even mention him, which is crazy, right? The best offensive rebound in the country. Look at what Houston has lost during that time when they've been winning over 26 games per season. Right. It's mind-blowing. And so start with Houston. Start with Memphis. The, the, the rivalry continues at least for another year, right? right. And we're going to enjoy that rivalry as best we can because Penny Hardaway is absolutely loaded. So Houston, Memphis are your headliners. Then you've got SMU with Kendrick Davis returning. Uh, is a hello, goodbye, roadrunner. You've got Wichita State. It's, how is Wichita State flying under the radar with Tyson Etienne? And that's another potential NCAA tournament team. UCF has as good a one, two, three combination as anybody in a league that has really great point guards, off guards, three men. I mean, th this league is loaded. And I haven't even mentioned Cincinnati, which is the X factor in this league. Uh, I just think there's there's multiple teams here that can show up, make a difference, it's going to make it really fun, Chris. So so you mentioned, I think, roughly six teams right there. So out of that six, how many do you think have a great shot of getting to the tournament? You know, I think, well, first of all, Houston and Memphis obviously uh, are going to be great. And, Chris, that's critical. So remember a year ago when everybody was saying that, that the American was a one-bid league? Well, yes. they didn't look at the numbers. So – if Memphis gets off to a good start, remember, they got off to an awful start last year. I've watched them in two exhibition games now, and Memphis is legit. They they don't appear to be selfish. That was their big hang-up a year ago, and some of those guys that were selfish a year ago are no longer on that roster. And so there's going to be two big-time, metrically-friendly teams in Houston and Memphis. And these are going to be two teams in the net. They're going to be in that top 25, top 20, top 15, top 10, somewhere in that range for sure, which right. means a rising tide floats all boats. So if the East Carolinas and Tulane's can hold up their end of the deal 
and not be 300, but be in the mid 150s, 160s, somewhere in there, then that means that a team like SMU, Wichita State, UCF, Cincinnati, those middling type teams are also going to rise with that tide. And so too legit, but could be three or four from the American, depending on how those lower teams perform to bring the metrics up for the entire league. I agree. And let's discuss right there the metrics. Do you do you like the net? Think it's beneficial, useful? Do you think it's an improvement over RPI? It's trash. And I'll tell you why. So, you know, when a committee gets together, and let's say the committee wants to build the greatest racehorse in history, okay? And everybody's got an opinion as to what's got to be in that racehorse to be the best racehorse in history. Right. And so they all got their opinions and they all try to please everybody and they bring it together and they go from from basically building the greatest racehorse in the history of the world to, to building an armadillo. And that's what happened in the net. You have two basic, and I want to get in the weeds too far, but you have two basic metrics. One is predictive metrics, Correct. which is what betters use. Mm-hmm. Okay? The other is performance outcome-based metrics which is what the RPI was. And look, the RPI, I'm not saying the RPI was perfect, all right? But at least you could look at it and say, okay, they beat this team who beat this team who beat this team. And you could start comparing things based upon actual outcomes, performance, if you will. Well, what the committee did when they decided to go ahead and and review all the different metrics and put them in a bottle and all this stuff and shake them up, they came up with a hybrid of some performance, some predictive. And by doing that, they mixed oil and water. And so and then that's one part I don't like about it. The second part I don't like about it is that the teams have money. And Houston has money, by the way. Memphis has money, by the way. The American has money. I mean, the average budget in the American is like $7 million per team, somewhere in there. To give you an idea how different that is in the Missouri Valley, the average budget is right around $3 million, Okay, mm-hmm. What that means is that money can buy you home games. And one of the deals Kelvin Sampson struck when he became head coach at Houston was he had to have X amount of dollars in his budget to buy home games. Correct. So by buying home games, then it stacks everything in the metrics, in my view, and I think it's been borne out over time, that stacks all the metrics in favor of the teams that have money. And so I'm not a favor of the net. I think that it should be all performance-based, outcome-based. I don't like the predictive-based. I'm not a gambler. I don't care about the few, how, what you think is going to happen. I care about what has happened. And so that's why I'm a proponent of the metrics that measure that versus the metrics that measure future performance. Yeah, because part of the predictive part is you get penalized for losing to a team that, that they say you should have beat. Well, <laughs> I mean, how do you know that based on, on what? So yeah. I think we're on the same page there. How long have you known Coach Kelvin Sampson? Uh, we met in 1982. Calvin was the head basketball coach at Montana Tech. And you see me smile when I talk mm-hmm. about it, right? You know, because I, I go back to those times and, and what wonderful times for both Calvin and I. We had nothing, Chris. We both had nothing. I mean, Calvin was probably making, I don't know, ten to $15,000 as the head coach at Montana Tech, living in this little apartment on campus with, with Karen. Lauren was just born. Uh, Kellen wasn't even in the picture yet. Uh, I was uh, 25 years old in 1982. I, I would turn 25 in June of that year. I got the job in April at Rocky Mountain College. I was making $15,000 a year. 
And we were both 25, 26 years old. Kelvin's a little bit older than me by about six, seven months. So we decided that as the young punks in that league going against some very seasoned veterans that were coaches in the Frontier Conference, that we would align, that we would band together, that we would help each other okay. to, to get better and to beat those guys. I mean, think about that. You know, two kind of egotistical guys. Okay, <laughs> let's admit it, right? Mm-hmm. But we sublimated our ego to help each other because Kelvin's team had won three games the previous season before I got in the league. When I got in the league, Rocky had won four games the previous season, all right? And we're both like paddling up that creek, you know, with, mm-hmm. without a paddle. So we decided that we would align. And three years later, uh, Kelvin's team won the Frontier Conference Championship. All right, We were right there. Kelvin beat us like three times that season. We actually played three times in the regular season another scheduling quirk of, of the Frontier Conference. But in the playoffs, we had to go to Butte. We were good now. And this, they earned those wins. Mm-hmm. But we were good. And so we go to Butte. We won 60-56 to 56 in Butte, which allowed us to play in the championship game to go to Kansas City, which we beat Sioux Falls College in Billings. And we went to Kansas City. And Kelvin went to Kansas City to actually support me and my team. Now, think about that. Wow. Yeah. So I've never forgotten that. I became Kelvin's assistant coach at Washington State. I helped uh, build his defense there. Uh, we've been close friends for many years, but like many friends, we've had disagreements. Sure. You know, we've had, I mean, you know, I was one assistant to go to his office and say, what the hell? And he said, shut up, Adam. I mean, we, we, but we have a very respectful, uh, when I say that, and, and uh, a long-term relationship that I value greatly. And it's ironic you mentioned that because Saturday, November 6th, the Cougs exhibition opponent is Montana Tech. Yeah, exactly. Kelvin never forgot where he came from. In fact, you can go all the way back to uh, being a Native American in the Lumbee tribe in North Carolina. And Chris, I want to mention this because you mentioned Montana Tech. Uh, Really, the night that we really became great friends, uh, I was driving through Butte. I called his, his home. He happened to be home. And so we decided we were going to go to a bar together in Butte, Montana. Now, there's only like a bazillion bars in Butte, Montana. Okay? <laughs> and, and Kelvin and I, we were talking, and there was some, I could tell her something he wanted to tell me. And he said, uh, you know, you probably think I'm black, don't you? And I, I said, well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I guess so. He goes, well, let me show you something. He showed me his Lumbee Indian card, mm-hmm. that he was a Native American, and how proud he was of that. And he told me, that he wanted to be the first Native American to win the national championship that night. You know, I mean, that was powerful. And mm-hmm. he talked to me about growing up as a kid, you know, in, in the Pembroke area in North Carolina, how they're during that time in the 1960s, early 1960s, again, we're the same age, basically. He told me, he said, Mark, you remember the, the drinking fountains that said white and black? I said, yeah. But I said, I lived in Ohio. I never saw them, but I certainly heard about them. He said, well, in North Carolina, there were three drinking fountains. White, black, and other. I never forgot that, Chris. I never forgot that. And you know what? Kelvin Sampson is anything but an other. He's special in so many ways. His family is special. His mom and dad were special. I got to know them as well at Washington State. And I just never forgot that moment of of our relationship that he trusted me enough to talk to me about what it was like to grow up as a Lumbee in North Carolina. I've never forgotten that. Mark, Adam, this is special, you and I talking, because last night, Lauren Sampson was a guest on, on my show. 
and she talked about Montana Tech uh, being there and just her upbringing and how she's followed, you know, her dad throughout his career and now helped build U of H. Just what are your thoughts on the job Kelvin, Coach Kelvin Sampson has done at the University of Houston? Well, let's go back in time a little bit to, to set the stage for where we once were and where we are today. Um, so Washington State, Kelvin did a great job there, obviously. Went to Oklahoma, um, did, did a great job there, then goes to Indiana and was doing a great job there. And in the end was vilified for uh, making for his staff making too many phone calls, which by today's standards, Chris, I mean, come on, you know, I'm not going to get into it with what, what else has gone on in college basketball. We all know, right. we all know. And, and now today, you know, you can, you can legally play pay players, which is fine. I, I have no problem with all that. Okay. I'm, I'm good with it. We, we got to move on. We've got to advance, but you know, Kelvin was, was banned. I mean, he had a five year show cause. And I happened to be in studio the night that all this was going down uh, at ESPNU and had to comment on it. And, and I made the comment then and I'll make it again that, you know, if, if, if I was found to make the, the number of phone calls that were alleged in this case based upon the NCA rules, then I would expect to lose my job. Now, I wouldn't expect to get a five-year show cause, okay? That was way above and beyond. When you talk about Hall of Fame coaches, Bayheim, Patino, Calhoun, you know, all those guys that there were, in some cases, academic fraud that went on in the program or extra benefits or things like that. And they got between five and nine game suspensions. Mm-hmm. Kelvin Sampson got a five-year show cause for phone calls. How are you going to build your, your, your career back up after that? Especially the way he was treated in the media, which was completely unfair. And again, I'm not going to go into specifics, but I had a colleague the night of the Indiana-Michigan State game that is a, is a big you know, Bob Knight proponent. And it just wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair. And so Kelvin rebuilds his coaching career, you know, in the NBA. And he learned so much during that time. I mean, he took it as a sabbatical, a five-year sabbatical. But someday, you know, I'm sure he had dreams of, of returning to college basketball. And then Houston decides this is the guy. I mean, what a great hire. Because the way that he was punished wasn't fair. And what has Kelvin done with this second chance? Remember, he went back on that sabbatical and got better. Mm-hmm. Kelvin wasn't nearly as good an offensive coach as he is today. Before that, not, not even close. Defensively, he's always been very, very good, but that's gone to another level with all the ball screen coverages that Houston uses. Kelvin used that sabbatical, not only to become a better basketball coach, but also become a better person along the way as well. To, to understand that balance was still important. You know, having Kellen and, and Lauren involved in his program at Houston, that was one of the things that he wanted to have happen when he became a head coach. Have his family, have it be a part of his family so he could spend that time. When, when you look at the growth of Kelvin Sampson turning that negative situation into such a positive reformation of his career and of his personal self, it's simply inspiring. How has, well, let me ask you this, you personally, are you – Big into analytics. <laughs> I love, I, I'm so grateful you asked that question. Um, so the answer is yes, but I come at it from a different angle. In fact, my company just developed an app called Focus, and I'll take a few minutes to explain what it does. Sure. First of all, let's talk about the, the tra- tra- traditional analytics. So 
again, there are many analytics that are outcome-based, like defensive efficiency ratings, offensive efficiency ratings, point per possession. You can break that down per player per minute and all those kinds of things that get very granular on outcomes. So let's take a, a, a hustle stat that some people would define as a hustle stat. I define as a productivity stat like deflections, okay? And Kelvin and I have actually had this conversation. So at Houston, they track a lot of different things. And it's fascinating what they track, and they do a really good job of it, by the way. But Kelvin was instrumental in helping me, along with Jay Wright and and Kermit Davis, Brian Gregory, a lot of different coaches contributed to the Focus app uh, ideas. And so deflections, what behavior does it take to get deflections? It takes, like, close out high hands, right, or Mm -hmm. active hands on Mm -hmm. defense. And so – I became fascinated back in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, about how behaviors impact outcomes and developed a system, a plus minus system that would add up a percentage where a player would have a grade after every game as to did they close out with high hands? Did they challenge shots? Did they cut hard to the basket? These are all behaviors that take concentration and effort, but very little talent. And so for a coach, I need to be very intentional in teaching what a challenge shot was. And, oh, by the way, my last two teams at Central Connecticut led the entire country in block shots. We were a great offensive rebounding team. Does that sound familiar to you a little bit? Is there yeah. another yeah. guy that you might know? And, and so we were fanatics about challenging shots. We averaged over nine block shots a game. At that time, we were the second greatest block, block shot, shot blocking team in NCAA history behind Mutombo in morning of 1989. To give you an idea, right? Mm-hmm. But it was basically because we challenged every shot and we statted it. We were very intentional in our coaching as to how we statted those things. And so we developed just we just released it on October 1st. It's called the Focus app. And look, I like all the other traditional analytics. I'm not speaking against those. But what we did was we said, where's the gap? Where could we find a niche? And coaches help us understand that behaviors lead to outcomes. I already knew that. I was doing it back in the 80s and 90s. And so we built the Focus app to give a value-add analytics as to how your team is hustling, how your team is concentrating, how your team is getting effort. Are they first to the floor for a loose ball or not? Are they closing out with high hands or not? Are they challenging shots or not? And it's been a fascinating ride. We already have dozens and dozens and dozens of Division I teams since October 1st that are using the Focus app. And I'll tell you, Chris, it's just been a hell of a ride. I was just on uh, texting back and forth with an ACC head coach this morning about some tendencies that I saw from his team where they could be more intentional in practice today to improve their metrics on their behaviors. It's a fascinating concept. It's been a fascinating project. And it all was born because of the book that I wrote, The Coach and the Geek Building of Kick-Butt Culture, which is right over my shoulder with a software a technology engineer and Jeff Van Fleet. So it's been a hell of a ride. It's been a lot of fun. How can, I guess, coaches get the app? Well, all they got to do is contact me. Uh, you can email me at mark at coachandgeek.com, mark at coachandgeek.com, or you can go out to our website at coachandgeek.com forward slash focus. And there's a three-minute video out there that, that talks about the research that we've done and, and the ride that we've been on. And then you can sign up for a free demo at coachandgeek.com forward slash focus. Would I be stealing any of your TV material if I ask you right now for your final four teams? You know what? I haven't thought about it yet, Chris. It's a, it's, it's a very, very good question. I should have come prepared for that one, but I have not. So I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do is I will text you as soon as I decide, because you know, I always pick outliers, right? You know right. that about me. 
Right. So I'm gonna need to think it through a little bit. I haven't gotten a feel. I haven't had that like that seminal moment of the Wichita States and the Loyolas and the Houston's of the world, you know, to 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 make that determination yet. But I think lightning will strike pretty soon. Where would you rank the American Athletic Conference in, among the conferences in basketball? The American is always in the top seven. Uh, I, I think that this year with the middling depth. So when I say that, and I mean this respectfully. Look, I think SMU brings some really interesting talent to the table. I don't think they're middling. I think they're really close to that SMU-Memphis level. And so, but I'll include them in this mix of SMU, Wichita State, UCF, Cincinnati. Uh, those schools there are, are the ones that are going to determine where the American can rank in the end. Can they pass up? you know, the Big East or the SEC or the, or the Pac-12. Pac-12 has been vulnerable at times over the last couple of years to be passed up by the American. But those are the teams, because I know if Houston stays healthy, if Memphis stays healthy, and if Memphis stays mentally healthy, that, that's a big key for them. And I believe they're on the right path right now. If they stay mentally healthy, then th- those, those are going to be gold standard metrics right there. And then if everybody else can help float that boat, then those next four teams and then the bottom teams I talked about earlier, if they can be in those mid-150s, mid-60 range, then this will be a league that will that'll crack that top six. You mentioned you, you've seen Memphis's two exhibition games. In those games, could you see the impact of Larry Brown on the offense, on the team? Yeah, I think they spread more. I think they have better spacing now than they did before. Uh, and that's, of course, of course, an, 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 an NBA type of, of, of uh, system. Um, I mean, when I watch Memphis today, Chris, I think back to my times when, unfortunately, I had to coach against Jim Calhoun in UConn when he had Danielle Marshall, Donnie Marshall, Ray Allen, you know, those teams. Mm-hmm. And, and Memphis looks like those teams. I mean, so this is interesting. Memphis loses Boogie Ellis and Musa Cisse. And like we're saying, like, who? <laughs> right? I mean, this guy's pretty good players. Right. Well, now we're saying, a big deal. You know, they get Jalen Duran. They get Armani Bates. They get a guy that went could have gone to G League and made a lot of money, you know, but he's going to Memphis and Bates. Then you got Lester Canonis, Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams is back, hell of a player. Mm-hmm. Alex Lomax might might be the backup point guard. I mean, this team is so loaded and they're so long and they can press you and they can run and they bring waves of other guys. I mean, we're talking about legit D1 guys coming off the bench behind those NBA guys, you know. So it's really fascinating to watch them play and see how much better they are. And, Chris, they're better. If if they stay mentally together, they are better. And I think one of the advantages had Larry Brown on that staff is reminding those young players, you don't get to the NBA unless you do this first. And right. I'm not sure that was a clear message at Memphis in the past. I'm sure it's a clear message now based upon Larry Brown, a Hall of Fame coach, that, that uh, will help these young people understand what it really takes to the NBA, not what they think it takes to get the NBA. And once again, I'm Chris Garda speaking with Mark Adams, ESPN college basketball analyst. As a coach, did you pay attention to – the, any of the conference preseason polls where, where the coaches or the media SIDs predicted your teams to finish? Uh, no, no, I never did. I mean, look, it, the only thing I wished for was that we wouldn't be first. All right? That's all the only thing I ever wished for. 
because then you got that target on your back. I'd rather be I'd rather be tenth, pick tenth in the preseason than first. I don't want the target on my back. You know, I, I was a better coach when I was uh, hunting versus the hunted, and I think my teams were better too. That was my mo. I was a program rebuilder like Kelvin. You know, that's what we have in common. And and unfortunately, the posse got me in '96. You know, and I decided to just go be a full time dad and and do all those kinds of things and get into broadcasting. Uh, but I never really paid much attention. I know Kelvin doesn't. He, he could care. He could care less about that stuff. All he cares about is his team getting better today. That's all he cares about. Yeah, he he was surprised. I think it um, the coaches picking them to be Houston to be first is more respect of him as a coach. Yeah, because of what they they lost a lot. Yeah, yeah. But they bring in a lot, but it's unproven in his system. So, what are your thoughts on the? two, possibly three matchups of Houston-Memphis this season? Well, first of all, let's pray that that we get those matchups because we're still in a COVID environment. And I know how, you know, the, the, the COVID schedule affected everybody last season. I don't anticipate that happening last year, but man, COVID has its own little schedule going on, you know, and then there's the rest of us trying to figure everything out after COVID decides what it's going to do. So hopefully we have all those meetings um, you know, I, I look forward to them. I know the one of them is going to be on CBS, which really ticks me off because I got no shot at doing that game then. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish all of them were on ESPN and I could be a part of it. You know, that's the selfish part of me. Not not saying that that I would earn that opportunity to do those games. There are a lot of great broadcasters uh, that would probably even be, be ahead of me. But, you know, uh, I, I dream big and I love doing those games. Uh, I think it's going to be like it was a year ago from the standpoint of a, of a great, great rivalry game. I also think that, you know, when you think back to Memphis, um, they've never had a seminal moment under Penny until this year when they won the NIT. I think back to Wichita State and Greg Marshall when he was building that program and Wichita State won the NIT and then it was like rocket fuel in the program. They took off at that point. You know, Memphis never had that seminal moment of winning a big game and especially against Houston. You know, it seemed like every time it got down to it, Memphis was not able to make a play. Houston was able to make a play. And I think that's where the Kelvin Sampson, Houston Cougar toughness won by one point on occasion. You know, and I think those are examples of that. So now with Memphis going to the NIT a, a year ago, how will that confidence inbreed itself among the team and bring them closer together to understand they can be champions as long as they play together. That's going to be what's interesting, Chris, is that now we have a Memphis team that I think that is a more formidable suitor to Houston than what we saw before. Houston's always had talent. Maybe they have a little more talent now than they even had before. But that that Houston X factor of toughness has won them big games against Memphis. Whereas Memphis now, I think that little combination of confidence and a little bit of an edge that I see them have in the preseason, boy, is that going to be a great dogfight. Wrap it up with you, Mark, on, on this final question. Give me a number. How many teams from the American do you think reach the NCAA tournament? I'm going to go three or four. And, again, it depends on some of the metrics, but I'm going to go three or four. And uh, I think that Wichita State, you know, would be another one that I haven't talked about a lot with Tyson Etienne returning, Morris Udeze, Dexter Dennis. I mean, look, that's a really good roster. And they've got other parts and pieces that Wichita State, you know, could be the third team or SMU could be the fourth team somewhere in there. Uh, I, I think that those four teams to me, Houston, Memphis, Wichita State, and SMU, 
all have a legit shot for the NCAA tournament. I think any analyst that tells you anything different isn't looking deep enough into this 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 tough, tough defensive-minded league. That's a great way to wrap it up right there. Mark Adams, thank you very much for your time. And if you – I'm not sure if, if your schedule, if Houston's on your schedule to come to Houston, but if so, I look forward to meeting you. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. My pleasure, Chris. I appreciate you having me on today, and I always enjoy the Houston Cougar fans. They've always been very kind to me. But remember – Houston Cougar fans, when you lose, I still have to tell the truth, but you don't lose very often. (laughs) Great point, Mark. Thank you very much. You take care. Thanks, Chris.